Welcome to Valley Community Church. Our Sunday sermons are available online to help you grow in your Christian faith. Our messages are practical and applicable truths from the Bible for today's life challenges. And now, Senior Pastor David Schmaltz. Amen. Lord, we want to present our hearts to you. God, more and more, I'm truly convinced, God, that your word is the secret. Lord, man's truth is constantly changing. Lord, it adjusts, it, it molds. Lord, it moves with the culture and the times. But, but God, your word never changes. Lord, even though it applies, it's applicable, and Lord, we need to make those adjustments, Lord, as we apply the truth. Lord, it is as that rock that will never move. And Lord, we thank you for that. Lord, speak to us today. God, reach into our lives. Lord, encourage us, challenge us. Lord, rebuke us if necessary, that God, we might be able to move forward in the grace and the mercy of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're going to talk this this Sunday and next Sunday about action. We're going to talk about love in action. And today's first part we're calling, Who's My Neighbor? So if you'll turn to the scriptures in Luke chapter 10, 25 through 37, you'll be able to follow along in a story that we all probably know, have read before, called the Good Samaritan. Let me read it. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus something I wouldn't recommend, by the way. But he says, teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That's a fair question. He says, what is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. When he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes. They beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. Boy, that sounds like just about any TV show you'll see on these days, huh? A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. Okay, so it's a priest, and he says, so too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. And he went to him, and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Sounds like a great guy, huh? Which of these three, Jesus asking the expert in the law, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. It has become the habit and the downfall of mankind to ignore the living God and his son, Jesus Christ. And of course, we're at this point in the world once again. One feels really around us this growing sense of shame that is directed at Bible-believing Christians. We're caught in a vice between secular humanism and its pagan worldview 
and a radical fundamentalism that threatens to sweep away our freedom and peace. It's insane to return to the intolerance that the so-called tolerance espouse. What are we to do? Jesus lived in tumultuous times. The people of Jerusalem lived on a political powder keg. Imagine following Christ during those times, when we compare it to our own, persecuted by neighbors, hated by the occupying Romans. It was doing, I'm sorry, it is during these fearful times that Jesus taught peace. He taught his followers the most radical teaching of all, and that was to love their neighbor. The truth is, the church has endured tragic times of persecution in its past and remarkably has grown and spread around the world as a result. It will be no different now. When we read there in Luke chapter 10, we get a wonderful story. We get a wonderful response from Jesus that we can take and we can apply to our own lives. And and I'm telling you, it's going to get us. It gets me every time, and it's certainly not going to be different this morning. But in this story, Jesus takes religion head on because what we have here is an expert in the law. And it's interesting that Luke, would, would being a, a physician, he wants specifically to bring this story out for us to read. And, and, and certainly there were many who came to challenge Jesus. But this one stuck out in, in Luke's mind to say, here's an expert in law, probably well-known, coming to challenge, kind of sending forth their champion, if you will. Let's send in, let's slend, uh, send in Shlomo, man. He'll do it. He'll challenge. He'll catch this guy. Man, he seems to have this smart response to everything we throw at him. Let's, let's, let's throw this at him, see what he does. And what Jesus does, again, he takes it head on. And in that religious idea, what we find is that idea of that goodness is in the eye of the beholder. And Jesus wants to bring that, and he wants to say, look, you have an idea of what goodness is. Let me take you up a notch. You think you understand goodness? Let's really lay it out and take it head on. So the expert, he quotes a summation of the law as he reads it. Because Jesus, he says, he says, look, you know, how do, we, how do I get saved? How do I become perfect? How do I do this? Jesus says, well, how do you, what do you think? And of course, being an expert in the law, he, he, he quotes it correctly. And Jesus praises him for it. And then he says, now just go and do it. And I love that. Don't you love that? I mean, that is the best answer you could possibly get when people throw religion at you is to say, well, you do it first. Because what that does is that just cuts through hypocrisy right off the bat, doesn't it? And it should have just stopped right there. The expert in the law should have just said, yeah, got me. But he was a fool to go on to the next step and to try to challenge Jesus even further. And in his mind thinking, this is the setup. This is where I'm going to get him because he's going to have to throw out and, and dig himself a hole to decide who's deserving and who's not. So Jesus tells this story. So he brings him to that end, and I just love how he just transitions, and he says, there was a man. And whenever you see Jesus telling stories, man, just hold on, buckle up, because you're getting ready to get it. You're going to get truth in a way that just fillets your soul. So he illustrates the point. And he creates a very uncomfortable scenario for the teacher, okay? He turns the table on the proud expert in the law. And as a side note, you know, never take on the living expression of the word of God when truth is on the line, right? I mean, not a good idea. 
So he starts the story, and he talks about this, this businessman who's obviously a Jewish man because of where he is going, right? He's walking between or traveling between Jericho and Jerusalem. So he's in the Jew zone, so we're pretty sure that that's who this man is. So he's beaten up, and it's, you know, you know like any other situation we can imagine, he's mugged. And he's thrown on the side of the road, and he's stripped probably to all his money's taken. He's, he's beaten up. It says it takes his clothes. They take everything. They take his shoes. But what people will do for shoes today. So they throw him on the side of the road and leave him for dead. A priest. Now, this is a Jewish priest. Guy who preaches the word of God Sunday in and so, or Saturday in and Saturday out, out being a Jew. And he sees up ahead a fellow Jew who's been beaten up. Who knows he may even have uh, being aware of him. But he goes on the other side of the road and just says, you know what, I don't have time. I gotta get to church. Man, I, I gotta go and preach the word. I've gotta go and do good things. And yet passes by the obvious uh, opportunity to actually do what's good. Interesting, isn't it? Pretends not to see him. And, you know, in our minds, and our hearts, it's kind of pointing out that if you pretend to not see the need, it doesn't really count. If I don't let it into my heart, you know, it's kind of like those Sarah McLaughlin, you know, songs about, you know, dying animals. It's put it on. You just change the channel. It's out of sight, out of mind. Right? If I don't hear Sarah singing about it, then it don't count in my heart, right? In the same way, when the priest goes on the other side of the road, he says, you know, not seeing it, not seeing it, not seeing it. On he goes which is interesting, isn't it? When you think of a person who's really called to be a person who stands in the gap, who should be doing this. Then a Levite comes, takes it up a notch. He's dedicated to God's service. He is set apart. He doesn't even have any property. This man's whole existence is to serve before God in its various ways, to go into the temple, the holy of holies, to come before God and to understand God, to, to minister before God, and yet he too goes on the other side of the road. Wow, what's going on here? Makes you wonder at times if these were actual events that Jesus just turned into parables. And who knows, maybe he was one of those men who passed on the other side. You never know. But Jesus was good like that in a way to expose the heart, right down to its... Uh, so he goes, sorry, I'm not on duty right now, and he, he keeps going on the other side as well. But then a Samaritan comes. Now we know, and you've heard before what a, who a Samaritan was, and, and, and just for the sake of, uh, of your understanding, you know, when the Jewish, uh, when Israel was taken away to Babylon, okay, they took the best of the people, quote unquote. They took the priests and the children of the privileged and whatnot. They only took what they deemed as being people that they could use in their society, okay? So the farmers and the average persons were either put to death, their heads cut off, you know, and, and their heads placed on poles lining the road, you know, just as kind of a reminder of don't try to get out of here. Or they would just leave some of those people, the poorest of the poor they would leave because they wanted someone there to continue to kind of keep the land up a little bit because they were coming back. And what they would do is they would take Babylonians and they would bring them into land. They, they were famous for that. They would do cultural mixture in order to completely strip the people of their identity. 
they would wash them down. That's kind of interesting, isn't it, when you, when you think of cultures today. But anyway, they would come in, and they would come in, and it just totally stripped the Jewish people of their identity by bringing Babylonians in and giving them land and forcing them to share the land together. Now, one of the things you've got to understand is that the Jews were told never, ever, ever to go outside of their Jewish people to marry. They couldn't intermarry with the peoples of the land. You know that. You've read that. So now they're in a, in a, in a pickle. Seventy years goes by, and these people that are left behind, you know, they have no temple. They have no religious identity. They, have, they begin to intermarry. And as a result, they become what is called over hundreds of years over time be called Samaritans. And they're, I mean, I hate to use this kind of language, but it, they were half-breeds. They, were, they had Jewish heritage, but they had been mixed in with Babylonian blood as well, and, so they, and they did not keep up with their identity. In other words, their tribe. They had no identity, so they were stripped. Okay, so I'm giving you a real quick lesson here. But so these are who the Samaritans are. Now, when the Israelites came back after 70 years in the Babylonian captivity to reoccupy the nation, these people coming back had kept their identity. They had not intermarried. They, and matter of fact, they could not come back unless they could identify who their great-grandfather was and have their, their pure bloodlines uh, tracked. And Ezra and Nehemiah said, look, you can't go. If you can't show, then you can't go. And so those who came back to Israel to rebuild the wall and to rebuild Jerusalem and so on and so forth were, were Jewish in the purest sense of the word. The people living there were no longer considered pure blood. Over, again, hundreds of years, there continues to be this conflict. They're hated. Because they're like, look, you didn't maintain your identity. You intermarried. How can you call yourselves a part of us anymore? It creates this, this nasty se separation between the people, a despising, lower-than-dogs kind of a mentality regarding the Samaritans. So now you know who this person is. This person is not a priest. This person is not a Levite. This person is not even a pure Jew and in the teacher who's listening to the story would have been offended that Jesus would even bring his name up. The moment he said, then a Samaritan came along, you can imagine, I mean, wouldn't you have loved to have been there with a video camera to see his face? Because the expert in the law would have been like, huh, what are we talking about here? Why are you bringing Samaritans up? See, Jesus had had an experience with a Samaritan woman already before began reaching for them, ministering to them, which, of course, would have really ticked off the Jews. So, a Samaritan comes along, and he sees the man, and he has compassion. And he pulls over, you know, pulls over his donkey, hearing ties him up, and he, and he gets down, and he puts some clothes on the man. He pours oil and wine. What significance there, of course, during those times was probably olive oil, which would have antibacterial properties, and the wine, also the alcohol to kill off, you know, and so that would have been the medicine of the time to really care for this man, bind him up, and of course, you know, obviously he's really in bad shape. So he carries him back to a, a hotel, I mean, just imagine this. If somebody, a complete stranger, 
that you pull and you see him and just say, look, I'm going to take him and you give two denarii, which was the, the uh, from what I read, the equivalent of a full day's wage. So whatever you make in a day, paid for a couple days, probably a couple hundred bucks. Pay for a couple of nights at the hotel. Set him up. Went to the person and say, look, can you have somebody keep after him? Can you watch him? Can you dress his wounds? Can you bring him some soup? Can you, can you do that? Yeah, 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 we'll, we'll do that. He said, I'll tell you what, when, and keep track of the cost because when I come back through, because I'm on a business trip, when I come back through, I'm going to pay for all of that. It's an amazing story, isn't it? He goes the extra mile. He's, he's showing that this man who no one could consider ever having compassion, and let's, and let's, let's, let's examine the, the Samaritan a little bit further. What does he owe a Jewish man, by the way? Nothing. Here's a guy who's only despised him, who's only treated him with prejudice, who's only treated him with disdain, and yet this is the very man who comes and takes care of him. Can you imagine that? And Jesus calls this man showing, he basically points out that this is the man that is showing true neighborly compassion or love. So that Samaritan, he's got to push past his, his, the disdain, and even of his fear of being judged in order to show that true love, it's an amazing story, isn't it? Because imagine if the, the Jewish man had come to his senses and he look and he see this man who's obviously not Jewish, how an uncomfortable situation that would have been. But I think the man would have been very grateful, wouldn't you? To realize well, it, was, it was life and death. And who knows if the man laying in the street, who probably was still somewhat conscious, conscious rather, is looking across the street and seeing the priest go by. Pastor so-and-so, please help me. La, 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 you know? And then that Levite, you know, that guy who's, who's on the circuit, you know, speaking, doing what he does. Mm-mm. Didn't pull over. The Samaritan's the only one. So now the expert, the expert in the law is forced to acknowledge someone who he does not respect to have more neighborly love than he would have had. His heart is stripped to its very core. And so what we find, we don't see a response from the expert in the law, but I guess if we could go there and take a look, I think if we could kind of maybe dramatize what happened, his look would be more like, you know, Deer in the headlights. The expert is completely shut down, not knowing how to respond to that. Because if he had opened his mouth, it would have been just like, you know, the donkey, you know, the donkey bray, right? I mean, nothing would have made sense at all. So what Jesus, in, 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 a, in a deeper context here, is what he's trying to let us know is that love is not filtered by our thoughts, of who is deserving or not. See, that love, God is trying to, to communicate to Christians that, look, love is love. And, you know, in, the, in this generation and, and where we're living right now, see, I think that we are being pushed into a corner, Christians, because the world is saying, look, we're going to test you. We're going to push you to your very limit because we're going to throw all kinds of people and parables at you. And how are you going to respond? Are you going to be like that expert in the law? Are you going to try to ignore it and move on and just say, you know what, I want to hold on to my fundamentalism. 
I want to hold on to what my religious understanding is. Or, we dig, or will we dig a little deeper to realize that Jesus called us to, call, to, to show compassion to everyone? And more than likely, it's going to be that very person that you're not comfortable in showing compassion to. <laughs> Ouch! Right? I mean, it's easy to say, yeah, I would have been, yeah, yeah, hey, honey, I would have been that good Samaritan. I'd have got it. We got this, right? Except that what Jesus is trying to say is, look, more often than not, the people that you're called to love and show compassion to are going to be the last people you really want to do it with, that you really want to show. I mean, you know, people of different races, people of different socioeconomic places, I don't know. But it's more than likely it's going to be a situation when you, everything inside you says, I don't want to do this. Is going to be the very time when God calls you to do it. Because see, here this expert in the law, here was a man who was well-trained, educated. It says he was an expert. They brought their champion out. And he is shut down. Because it's not about what you know. It is, yes, about who you know. But it's more about what you do. And being balanced with what you know. See, in, in some ways, folks, when we get to heaven, we're going to be held accountable for not only what we know, but what we did with what we know. Hello? So there's going to be a lot of people who don't have much knowledge, but man, did they use it to its utter core, you know? It's like that artist who had only one little you know, hammer with a chisel, and they just used that one instrument, wore it down to a nub. It's like, I used my, my gift, and I used it down to a nub, and I did a lot of work with this old little thing. And yet there will be those who walk in with this elaborate chest of wonderful tools and talents and gifts and say, look what I got. Ooh, that's pretty awesome. And what did you do with it? Well, was I supposed to use it? Yeah, you were supposed to use it. And so, you know, walking with that an analogy a little further, God has given every one of us the capacity to love. I don't care what your gift or talent is. Matter of fact, this kind of ministry anyone can do. Matter of fact, this levels the playing field, doesn't it? That love just basically says anyone can give a cold drink to a, a person who's thirsty. Anyone can pull over and say, let me bind that wound. You know, you don't have to sit there and tell them everything you know out of the Torah. You don't have to do that. You just have to say, look, I want to take some time. I want to minister to you. I want to do something very simple to show you the love of God in a very simple way. You know, our youth went out this past week and you probably saw it in the paper or maybe the, our, our spin or whatever, wherever it ended up. But basically, they just went out doing what we call servant evangelism. And that's just showing the love of Jesus in simple ways. You know, you don't have to do anything that's ornate. You know, I'll never forget a, an experience that I had that really changed my old, I mean, it just kind of blew up my mind. And we were out there um, giving away Cokes, cold Cokes on a hot day, and we had them in ice. Big old barrels in ice. And people were pulling up to the stoplight, and we were holding them in the window, you know. Ooh. 
And, and of course, on the barrel, it said free, no charge, just want to. And so, you know, people would roll down their window and, and we'd give them one. And, and I remember thinking to myself, you know, gosh, what is that really doing, you know, in simple ways? What well, was amazing? One man who had really been, I mean, this guy was very negative to the church. I mean, he just really hated everything about it. You could tell it in his personality and his, in, in his thing. But anyway, when we gave him a cold drink, he looked at it. And I'll never forget, because I remember seeing the guy. He looked at it and he said, amazing, amazing. And he drove off. He called the, the, the radio station immediately. And he said, look, um, I just want to let you know that I'm out on the road today, and I don't know who these people are, but they're giving away these cold drinks, and they're saying they're doing it in the name of Jesus and just want to show the love of Jesus in a practical way. And he said, you know what? I've got to tell you, that is the most genuine thing I've ever seen Christians do. And I remember thinking to myself, that was awesome. Because that message went out to over 300,000 people who were listening to that radio station at that time. One little Coke and what it could do. The simplicity of love is amazing. It can come from anywhere and from anyone. So, you know, the expert in the law asks, who's my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? And, of course, that's where Jesus sets it up. He basically says, anyone who has need. We need to get that. Because that is the point of the parable. Who is my neighbor? It's everyone, folks. It's everyone. It's anyone who God presents and puts in your, in your, in your path. Everyone who happens our way. You know, if you are a person who believes in God and you understand and you've, you've, you've spent any time in Scripture, then what you understand is that we are people of a divine purpose, that God has placed things inside us, that we have a pathway. And, and David spoke about this. Paul spoke about this, that we have a destiny and that things that happen in our life are no longer you know, circumstantial or consequential, but they are determined by God. And so your life has a pathway. We just got to get on it. We got to hear God's voice and we got to spend some time. We got to pray to find it. And so many of us are kind of weaving off of it, you know, taking exits off of the road, being I-95 and God's will if we kind of kept it in mind. And we just take these little exits from time to time. We get kind of caught up and then we finally realize, whoa, man, I'm, I'm not supposed to be here and back onto the purposes of God. And what you find out is that God has divine opportunities divine opportunity, God opportunities. And a lot of times they're sitting right there in, in front of us, but we walk on the other side of the road because we've got something else in our mind. And we're not looking, you know, we're, we're, we're looking past kingdom love, kingdom things, and yet we're spending so much time, so, much, so many resources, so much energy walking on the other side of the road when God is saying, look, what I'm trying to get you to do that will be eternal is sitting right there in front of you. Could be your family. And, it's, and, and it blows my mind sometimes when I hear of pastors trying to be great and doing different things and losing their families in, in response. And it's just like, you walked on the other side of the road, man. And, or, or, or Christians that I hear and, and, and the things that they pour in their time and their energy and their resources in, into, and only years later, what do they have? You know, and a lot of times, people 
will, will spit on and, and despise or completely forget, you know, forget and it'll just fade like an old black and white photo. You know, I've got this book. Because my dad was a photographer and a sports editor, you know, anything I ever did, I mean, it was just like I'd move, I'm like, Dad, I'm eating toast here. Come on, man, take it easy. But that's just the way he was. And he kept this book for me, and I've got that book. And in that book are pictures when I was breaking away and running for a touchdown or shooting a shot or doing things. And, and it's a wonderful gift from my dad, and I love it. But those pictures are fading. Of course, thank God for digital technology. I can take pictures of it and keep it forever. But anyway, that spoils my illustration. But anyway, the book, the book itself is fading. The pictures. Matter of fact, I found one that was kind of on the cover, and it was a, a, a friend of mine that I had just recently discovered and found him online, and, and I've been witnessing to him. And uh, I sent him a book for Christmas, and I mean, just really going after him. And uh, anyway, I found a picture where there he was in the picture, and, and, and I took a picture of that picture and tried to send it to him. Unfortunately, it had faded so badly, we, neither of us were, were sure that that was even him. You know? <laughs> he wrote me back, and he says, yeah, I'm pretty sure it was me. You know? <laughs> but folks, the things that we spend our time on, our energies, our resources on, the things that we take pride in, the things that we want to store up in our memory book, those are on the other side of the road, a lot of them. A lot of them. The things that will not come up on the best experiences of your life video when you get to heaven. The things that will show up are going to be those crossing the road events in your life. It's going to be when you stop and say, Lord, show me. I shared this with the guys, and Lee, you got to listen to it all again. Because I told them, I said, well, I'm going to share this on Sunday. Years ago, I was sitting there. I was bored out of my mind on a Saturday. And I just said, Lord, gosh, I'm bored out of my mind. And I said, but you know what? I want to be used by you. I, I want to I kind of play around here and just say, Lord, would you lead me today? I want to find a divine opportunity. And God said, get on your bike. I said, so, okay, I'm going to jump on my bike. So I went riding, 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 riding. Drove down to, to the water path, uh, waterway, and I drove down there because that's where I felt like you know, God was showing me to go. So I drove down there, put my bike aside, and I sat on a, a picnic table, and I'm looking out. I said, now what? And God says, look over there. I looked over there. There was a man sitting on the bench about 50 yards over. I said, okay, you want me to pray for him? And he goes, no, just hang in there. So I just waited. The man got up, and he came to me. I thought, uh-oh. This is getting weird. And I just said, okay, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm hanging in there. He came and he sat down at the table at me, with me. And I just looked at him and he was staring out at the water as I was. And he says, you know, and he went on to talk about the loss of people in his life. And he was just kind of, you know, wandering and muttering and just talking. And as I was just listening, I'm just going, man, this is, this is getting weird quick. So I'm looking at my bike, you know, you know, get ready to jump on and get out of there. But anyway, he went on to talk about how he had lost his wife and his son and that they had died in some way. And, he, and, and I'm just listening to this going, oh, oh, okay, God, there's divine opportunity coming in. And he said, yeah, and then my son David, who I really, really loved, you know, was taken from me. And I'm just going, oh, shoot. Divine moment. God, you set this up. And so I just, you know, kind of mustered up courage, and I just said, sir, I don't know what your situation is. I don't know how you lost, lost your wife and your son. And I said, but you know what? My name is David, and God's got a message for you today. And his message is that he loves you, 
and he died for you. And that you don't have to experience this pain anymore because he wants to bring you into a world of eternal life so that you will understand that this life, it doesn't end here. And so anyway, I prayed for him to share, you know, give his life to Christ. And I remember riding away, man. I mean, I was, you know, walking on sunshine, right? I mean, I was, I mean, it was just like, wow. And I learned from that moment on, you know what? Divine appointments. And this is the thing I, I took away from that, and we should all take away is, if you ask God, he'll give it to you. See, the guy walking down that road in Jesus' story had already thought in his mind, you know what? I am a helper. I am a person who is available to do this. He'd already had that character quality inside him in the same way, folks. As believers, we got to be, we've got to think in terms of everyone being our neighbor. So Jesus answers that question. Who's my neighbor? He says it's anyone. And if you're ready for that, and if you're available for that, then he will move through your life to be able to do some kind of act of kindness, some kind of loving thing that can pierce through that darkness and that despair that is permeating this world. We don't know what happened to the Jewish man who was rescued, but I'm guaranteeing you that those two guys hung out for the rest of their lives. And everything this man thought about Samaritans was changed on that day. So this week and next week, we're celebrating what we're calling love in action. And I want to ask you to participate. I want you to jump in the water. It's fine. I want you to take some time this coming week, starting today, to ask God to show you a divine opportunity. Now, look, you can just say, ah, oh, David, you know, Pastor David, I mean, you know, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm just walking on. Don't walk on the other side of the road. You have a chance. And I'm asking you, I'm calling you, I'm challenging you to walk on this side of the road and let's see what comes up. Let's see what opportunities might be presented to us that if we as Christians, if we begin thinking that everyone around us is a divine opportunity for a ministry moment, for a place where we can show the love of Jesus in a very simple way, maybe even a complex way, whatever, however you're available, whatever your skill, talent, um, resources might be. Obviously, the, the Samaritan had enough to do what he was doing, but you know, a, a cold cup of water, an encouragement, a prayer to put him on the donkey and just you know, he, he at least take him to the next village, right? Could have done that. Whatever. Whatever God shows you that you can do. So ask God. This is how you can join in in these two weeks of love and action. Ask God to show you how to show someone a simple, loving act of compassion. And there are a lot of creative ways. Look for the opportunities to encourage that single parent, that person who, who needs help taking their groceries to the car. You're walking out there, you only got a little bag, and there's a single mother that's got a whole bunch of stuff there. Man, it won't take you but 60 seconds to walk over there and help her load it up. Or you're sitting in line and you... you you know, maybe at Starbucks or at the restaurant or doing something like that to pay for somebody's meal or at least give $5 toward their meal and, and just tell them, look, let them know. I mean, that's the greatest one is to say, let's see those fo folks over there. I want you to give, to take $5. Here's the $5 off their bill and tell them that Jesus loves them. Would you do that for me? Well, yes, sir, I will. I mean, simple things. Simple things. A cookie is what the kids did this past week. Well, they're not kids, young adults. And I tell you what, you know, 
erase people's hearts and encourage them, thinking that they would just take the time. It's, it's amazing sometimes how little simple acts can encourage someone's life to change their whole framework, like that guy was telling you on the radio. So you look for those opportunities. They're going to open. Another thing you can do is to help us invite. Now I'm going to have the ushers please come. And what I'm going to do is I'm just going to pass these, these down the row. I've been asking you to come up to the front, and, uh, and that's fine. You can still do that. But what I'd like you to do is to take one of these cards. I mean, this is one way you can help, a simple way. I don't ask you to throw it away. Look, if, if we give you one, just take one as they're passed down the row. Just take it. And if you're like, well, no, I don't do that, then that's fine. Just put it back here on the stage or put it in the cafe as you leave or out here on the table as you go. No problem. But what I'd like you to do, if you really want to take this to the next level, is what I want you to do, I want you to pray about it. I want you to say, Lord, this is an invite that I want to get into the hand of a person who needs to hear the message of Jesus Christ. See, remember, you know, Justin was over here, and he said, uh, expectation is invitation. Here we have an invitation. And let's put some expectation on it. See, God can use anything. So, I want you to pray about it and just say, Lord, help me put this into the hand of a person who needs to hear about Jesus. Now, this is not oil and wine, and I understand this is not, you know, fixing somebody's wound. It's just a piece of paper, and I understand. I want you to do some other things too, but I'm just saying here is a very, very low, you know, expectation opportunity. I mean, anybody can say, hey, how you doing there? Go, and then run, you know? I mean, if it really makes you that uncomfortable to show love, I mean, just, I don't know, throw it at them, but not too hard. But just say, hey, look, I would really love to invite you to our services, you know, on, on Easter Sunday. If you don't go to church anywhere, I mean, you're welcome. We'd love to have you. And I'm sure that you're going to be encouraged in your life. And let our drama team and our music folks and, and the Holy Spirit bring them the oil and the wine. Because it may not fix their body immediately, but it certainly is going to fix their soul. And so that's an opportunity. That's one way, one simple way. And you can think of other creative ways. One of the, as I wanted to share with you to finish is, you know, creativity, you may say, well, look, man, I, I really rank really super low on creativity. I'm not a creative person. Yeah, but you know the Holy Spirit, who is the most creative being ever. He created you. God created you. And so you just open your heart to him and just say, God, would you show me some ideas? Would you open up? Would you give me a divine opportunity in, in the context of my life and what I do to show the love of Jesus to my neighbor? Just a simple way. How about taking their, garage, their, their garbage thing in for them? How about, you know, bringing them a, a, a thing of cookies for no other reason just to say, hey, just thinking of you today. Hope your day's going well. Show you the love of Jesus. I mean, there's so many little creative things. Don't be held back by your fear. Be pushed forward in your expectation that God's going to do something with, with something simple. You know, folks, that's how revolutions get started. Did you know that? One little act can spark something big. For the next two weeks, we're going to try to do that. Amen? Man, let's stand up this morning.